um, we will be continuing our study in the book of Galatians. Um, this week we are, oh, by the way, hi. If you are new, my name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. Let's move on. All right, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. And so, as we always do in our efforts to honor God's word, may you please stand for the reading of it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through to 21 reads, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the Lord, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time and thank you for the many opportunities you give us to know you and to know who you are and how you work in our lives. And so this morning I ask that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we may know you and in knowing you we would be transformed and become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. In the late 19th century, a man was traveling by train in Europe. Um, He lost his ticket, and as the conductor approached, um, the man grew nervous, knowing he couldn't produce the ticket and didn't have money for another one. A stranger in the same, on the same train, seeing the man's distress, silently extended his own ticket to the conductor, covering for the man without a word. It's a small gesture, but offers a glimpse into the idea of justification. We can't produce what's required, but Jesus steps in offering what we lack. Last week, we journeyed through a tense moment in the early Christian church. Two of the most prominent figures in the history of Christianity, Paul and Peter, had an unexpected face-off in the ancient city of Antioch. Paul, what he did was he confronted Peter 
because P are influenced by peer pressure from Jewish Christians, began to distance himself from Gentile, non-Jewish believers. Peter's behavior um, was described by the Apostle Paul as an out of step with the truth of the gospel. And after sharing about this standoff, what's going to happen is that Paul will transition through a profound theological exposition. The inconsistency, right, in Peter's behavior reflected a deeper theological issue. And that deep theological issue that was reflected from Peter's actions was how a person is made right or justified in the sight of God. And so the question we're going to be exploring this morning is, if God is real... Okay, if there's a God out there, which we believe, how can someone be made right and acceptable in his sight? And so what does it mean to be truly justified? What does it mean to be truly made right in the sight of God? If you're making notes, the first, the first thing we're going to be looking at is I need Jesus to be justified. I need Jesus to be satis- um, justified. Paul begins to articulate what it means to be truly justified with these words. Look at verse 15 again. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Here, what's happening is that um, Paul speaking of himself and he's speaking of Peter. Um, He refers to himself, Jewish Christians like Peter, as Jews by birth. Now, this term, Jews by birth, basically refers to ethnic Jews, those who followed the law of Moses. And being a Jew by birth meant you were not a Gentile sinner. So far, in this letter called Galatians, Non-Jews have been identified as just Gentiles. This is the first time in the letter that Gentiles have been referred to as Gentile sinners. And so the question we want to look at now is, what does this mean? What does it mean for Gentiles to be referred to as sinners? The Greek word for Gentile is ethne. Ethne essentially refers to nations. This means ethne includes any people group, culture, language, and religion that was not part of the Jewish nation or did not live by Jewish laws and customs. This term was mostly used by Jews for anyone who wasn't a Jew. That means I'm a Jew, okay? I'm a Gentile, sorry. (laughs) My goodness, awful. That means I'm a Gentile, and if you do not have Jewish roots, you too are a Gentile. 
And so, yes, we are Gentiles, but what does it mean for us to be Gentile sinners? The term sinners in this context isn't only being used to refer to people who commit sin. Instead, it's a technical term the Jews would use to describe those who did not observe the Jewish laws, especially the laws about food, the Sabbath, and circumcision. Several months ago, uh, my wife and I went to a fancy restaurant in downtown LA. We don't get to go to many fancy restaurants, FYI, okay? But we went to a fancy restaurant. This is one of those restaurants that you have to book several months in advance. This is one of those restaurants where you have to know where it is because it's not visible to the public. And so we went to this fancy restaurant, and when we got to this fancy restaurant, we noticed as we were waiting in the reception, we noticed that there was a door, um, and I asked you know, the workers there what, where that door led to, because there were people coming out of it, and they looked really important. And they said, oh yeah, it's this um, kind of exclusive club. And I said, oh, exclusive club? What does that mean? I didn't ask him, but I went online, did some investigation, because <laughs> I'm not going in there. I did some investigation, and to be part of that club, you have to have a certain amount of income, right? You have to have this, um, you have to be, have this, you have to be someone. This club views its members as having achieved the highest standards. Everyone outside this club, including me, is seen as ordinary or even inferior. In a similar way, the members of this elite club are like the Jews living by the law, and those outside the club were viewed as Gentile sinners. And so when Paul uses the terms Jews by birth and Gentile sinners, he is highlighting a prevailing attitude of his time where devout Jews saw themselves as set apart by God and often viewed Gentiles as spiritually and ritually unclean. But ultimately, listen to this, Paul's mention of Gentile sinners in verse 15 is not to demean Gentiles, but to set up an important theological argument. And so, what is this important theological argument Paul wants to articulate? Look at verse 15. Paul says, Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The Greek word for justified is um, this term that has a forensic nature. It implies this legal declaration of right or being in right standing. This verb was originally used of a judge declaring an accused person not guilty and right before the law, the law. It was the opposite of being declared guilty and condemned. And so in the Bible, however, justification is applied to our relationship with God. 
It refers to when God declares someone as guiltless. In justification, God takes a sinner, a guilty sinner, and declares him or her righteous. The holy judge of the universe takes a sinner who is in willful rebellion, deserving only of a guilty verdict, and says to them, you are not guilty. But how? How does this happen? Better yet, how can this happen? And how can a sinner be declared righteous before a holy God. Look at verse 16 again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Here it comes. But through what? Faith in who? Exactly. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in who? And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification, then, is solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification, then, is the free and gracious act by which God forgives, pardons, restores, and fully accepts a sinner, not on the basis of anything that they've done, but because of their faith in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul here draws a distinction between Jews and Gentiles to highlight the important theological truth that no one can be justified by what they do. But every human being on this planet, every human being on this planet can only be justified by faith through Jesus. How are you doing with this truth? How are you responding right now to it? Some of you have been a Christian for a long time. And you've heard these truths over and over and over again. How does the truth that the creator of the universe has declared you right and justified before his sight, how does that impact you? Some of you are new to Christianity and you're like, justified? What is that? It's my best American accent. (laughs) Well, justification is the truth that you have been declared as right before a holy and just God. What would you say is some of the most cherished moments in your life? 
What would you say are some of the most like highlights and Kodak moments of your life? For me, it was when Eleanor said yes when I proposed to her. It happened on a train. Remember, I started with a train story at the beginning. <laughs> kind of, whatever. Um, it was when she said yes. Birth of our children, Kodak moments. Recently, joyous time in my life was the approval of our green card. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so I wonder what it is for you. What would you say is some of the most cherished moments in your life? Maybe if you're a parent, it's the birth of your child. Maybe for some of you, it's a meaningful achievement. Um, or a moment where you felt truly loved. As I was reflecting on it, I was like, one of my Kodak moments was when um, one of our kids, I think it was Jesse, our first, learned how to use the potty. <laughs> I was like, yes! I don't have to change diapers anymore. And so I wonder what it is for you. Now, try to imagine a joy and contentment that makes those memories feel tiny or nothing in comparison. That's the profound value of knowing that you, Christian, are justified and made right by the God who created the entire universe. No experience, no joy can compare to the truth and the reality, Christian, that you are made right before a holy God. What could be more valuable than being assured that the creator of all things looks upon you with favor and love? In life, we often chase after temporary highs, flee in satisfaction, we look for validation in career success, relationships, or material possessions, or even green cards, all right? <laughs> all right? But how long do those feelings of satisfaction last before we're on to the next thing? Being justified by God is not a fleeting moment. It's an eternal reality. It's not about a one-time high. By God's grace, it should be a lifetime and an eternity of true and lasting joy. But what we must not overlook when thinking about justification is this, that you can only be justified and fully loved and accepted through faith in Jesus Christ. The reason why this is on repeat is because it's a valuable truth that you should treasure. You see in verse 16, just how Paul, he said it over and over again. 
He's very much like justification doesn't come from the law, but justification comes through faith in Christ. And then he says it over and over again. And this truth appears over and over and over in Scripture. By faith alone, through Christ alone, will you find the means to stand faultless before a perfectly holy and just God. And so, if you are here today, and you are not a Christian, and you are not justified, I want to offer you an invitation, an invitation this morning to accept and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And when you do, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, will embrace you as one of his own. And you will be loved, fully accepted by him from now on until eternity. And so if this is you, I pray and hope you accept this invitation. Come and speak to me or one of anyone, and we would be happy to explain more to you. And so what does it mean to be truly justified? I need Jesus to be truly justified. That's what we just looked at. The second is I cannot earn justification for myself. I cannot earn justification for myself. As we saw earlier in this letter, the Apostle Paul was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's approach to winning Gentiles made some Jewish Christians uncomfortable. In fact, Jews of a stricter persuasion were convinced that Paul was going too far. They criticized him for relating to Gentiles in ways that were simply unacceptable, even unlawful. Paul rejects and confronts this accusation, and he does so in verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Here, Paul seems to be putting forward a hypothetical situation. The word sinners here isn't only referring to people who commit sins. Instead, it's a technical term like we learned that Jews would use to describe anyone who did not observe the Jewish law. And so, in the mind of a Jew, if you did not live by the Jewish laws, you were a sinner. And so, Jewish Christians argued that if Jews in seeking justification through faith in Christ end up behaving like Gentiles, then it would seem as though Christ promotes sin. The logic here is that if by aligning with Christ, a Jew is, is now living like a Gentile, then Christ must be endorsing that lifestyle which from a Jewish perspective could be seen as sinful. In other words, if Jews like Paul and Peter, in their pursuit to be identified with Christ, end up behaving like Gentiles by eating with them, okay, or breaking, that is breaking traditional Jewish customs, does that mean Christ's is promoting sinful behavior. 
Paul emphatically refutes this by saying, certainly not. And you see that phrase, certainly not? In the Greek, it's a strong negation. It's essentially saying, may it never be, or God forbid. Christ does not promote sin. Rather, Christ eliminates sin through his sacrificial death on the cross and victorious resurrection. Scott McKnight says this, the implication of Paul's emphasis here is that life in Christ is not life in sin. Instead of promoting sin, Christ promotes purity, holiness, love. What was formerly found only in the law for the Jews, namely God's will for his people, has now been fulfilled in God's great gift of the Holy Spirit. If faith in Christ and a life lived for Christ does not make Paul a sinner, then what could make him a sinner? What could cause him to sin? Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. The verb rebuild comes from the Greek verb, which means build again. The verb is all about returning to an old way, to an old lifestyle. And so here, Paul uses the metaphor of rebuild what I tore down to refer to his previous life, which was lived under the law. Paul argues that if he goes back to looking to the law, the law to make him right before God, after embracing the gospel, only then would he truly be a sinner. For example, if, we were to go, if he were to go back to the strict Jewish ways, like refusing to eat with Gentiles, like Peter did in Antioch, he would be undoing all the good Jesus did. Jesus died to break down the walls, separating people, especially the walls between Jews and Gentiles. And so, if Paul went back to those old days, to traditional practices, he would be working against Jesus' mission. He would be trying to rebuild the very thing Jesus dismantled. John Stott says this, to go back to the law after having come to Christ by faith, is not to advance in morality and spirituality, as the Judaizers were claiming, but to regress into sin. This is what's true of us all. Like all believers throughout history, we will face temptations to go back to various forms of law for justification or to make ourselves feel more righteous after having come to Christ by faith. Did you guys get that? Like, that was the temptation then for Jewish Christians we are not immune to that. We are prone to returning 
to various forms of laws for justification or to make ourselves feel more righteous after having come to Christ by faith. I wonder what this looks like for you. What law are you prone to use as your means for justification? Here are some potential laws. Religious rituals. Some of you, whenever you miss church, you get super anxious. And this is because you feel that missing church jeopardizes your relationship with God. Instead of focusing on the grace and forgiveness of Christ, you're returning to this checklist mentality. Next is moralism. Some of you believe that because you don't drink alcohol, don't have a tattoo, never sworn, never used profanity in your life, you are closer to God than other Christians who don't follow these same rules. With this mindset, what you're doing is that you're placing more emphasis on these laws for justification than on the grace of Christ. Maybe you are trying to earn salvation. Some of you believe that because you're always polite, you're always serving, you're always giving to the church, you're always helping people, You've done enough to earn salvation even if you haven't truly accepted Christ. Some of you are all about trying to justify yourself through serving in the church. Like, serving in the church is a good thing. But when you start to believe that the more you volunteer and serve, the more favor you earn from God, you are neglecting the vital truth that salvation is a gift. Some of you is cultural or family traditions. Some of you might feel that adhering to certain cultural or adhering to certain family traditions or customs makes you more acceptable to God. Some of you it's knowledge and education. The more you know, the, the more you feel saved. And some of you, it's all about justice. Fighting for justice is crucial. But when you begin to view your involvement in helping others as a way to justify yourself before God, you are looking to these laws to save you. Some of you, it's the avoidance of certain big sins. Some of you have never stolen or cheated, never broke the speed limit. And as a result, you feel so close and loved by God. And what about comparing others? When you begin to say to yourself, at least I'm not like so-and-so who drinks and so-and-so who does this. I attend church, I read my Bible, so I'm definitely more righteous. This mindset makes you overlook your own need for grace, thinking that you are more righteous than a person. It's important to understand that these things are good, 
Some of these things are good. They are the fruit of salvation, not the cause of salvation. Justification comes through faith in Christ alone, not by any words or actions. In your daily life, let me ask you, do you sometimes find yourself trying to earn God's favor through actions instead of relying on faith in Jesus? How might you unintentionally add to the finished work of Christ thinking it might make you more right with God? And are there areas in your life where you've been relying on your own efforts instead of resting in Christ's righteousness? And so we've seen that to be justified, we need Jesus to be justified, and we cannot earn justification for ourselves. Lastly, what does it mean to be truly justified? Is when I'm justified, I know I'm truly loved. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The first thing Paul reveals is that it was because of the law that he died to the law. How is this possible? Uh, The verb died, obviously, in this context, is not talking about an actual death. It's a metaphor that is communicating a separation or a break from the influence of the law. It's a metaphorical detachment from seeking justification through the law. And how Paul died to the law was through his understanding that the law was not able to give him life. This is because one of the purposes of the law is to point out and expose human sin and inadequacy. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. By seeing this reality, Paul understood that the law couldn't give life, but actually killed him, metaphorically speaking by exposing his transgressions. And so when Paul says he died to the law, he's emphasizing that he has come to recognize that the law's inability to impart life because the law brings about a sort of death to any hope of achieving righteousness by human efforts alone. But the point and climax of verse 19 isn't about death of the law, but in the life that follows. Look at verse 19 again. It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. The law is a tool that exposes sin, but also points toward the need for a Savior. Look at verse 20. It says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That has to be one of the most well known and most beautiful verses that talk about our experience as Christians. This new life in God means that a Christian 
is crucified with Christ. This is obviously not talking about a physical crucifixion, but a spiritual union with Jesus' death. And this means that the old self, dominated by sin under the law, has been put to death. However, we should have great confidence in the fact that resurrection awaits us on the other side of every experience of crucifixion. Look at verse 20 again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's old lifestyle which tried to achieve righteousness through the law, is now dead. And the life he now lives is a life where Christ lives in and through him. In other words, Jesus' resurrected life has taken over his earthly life. What that also means is that if you are a Christian, Jesus' resurrected life has also taken over your earthly life. Verse 21, Paul continues, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul concludes in this section by saying, if it was possible to be right with God through the law, then Christ's death was pointless. Tim Keller says this, he says, Christ will do everything for you or nothing. You cannot combine merit and grace. If justification is by the law in any way, Christ's death is meaningless in history and meaning, meaningless to you personally. The Apostle Paul had spent his entire life seeking to obey the law of God, trying to be good. He was, as, he was zealous to keep God's commands. But when he encountered Christ, he realized something life-changing. And the first thing he realized was that he wasn't good. That is, even his so-called goodness wasn't good enough for him to be loved, accepted, and justified in the sight of God. And so he came to realize that he is justified and fully loved by God because of Jesus' finished work on the cross for him. In the same way, God is pleased with you. And God is pleased with you not because of how well you live, not because of how good you are, not because of your performance, but God is pleased with you and fully loves and accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you. But how do you know God will continue to love you and give you everything you need. 
you know this, because of what Paul says at the end of verse 20. Look at the end of verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Here it comes. Who loved me and gave himself for me. What's happening here is that Paul gets really personal. And it's as if he invites us all to say, Christ loves me. You can trust Jesus to be everything you need or want and to be your life because he is passionate about you. It's good to remember that God's passion is for the world and for all people. And that Christ died for all people. It's good to remember that. This is biblical Christianity. But it's also appropriate for you to be reminded that Christ died on the cross for you. Jesus is not only passionate about you, but he has paid a price for you. He gave himself for you on the cross so that his life, with all of his present and eternal benefits, might be yours. Pray this week that these big truths or these simple and obvious truths, if you've been a Christian for a while, will not remain in your intellect, but will transition to your heart and shape the way you live. Let's not settle for Sunday I'm coming to just learn about justification. Oh, it's about justification. I've been a Christian for a while, so what I'm going to do is switch off and begin to pray for the person next to me or hope I can send the podcast to my friend who needs it the most. These truths are relevant and necessary for all of us to ponder, reflect, and pray that God would transition them so that they shape the way we live and they shape the way we view the world. You are justified. In God's eyes, if you are a Christian, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe, for real, like the creator of the universe fully accepts you and fully loves you. And so this morning, we have learned what it truly means to be justified. 
truly be justified, we need Jesus to be justified. We cannot earn our own justification. And when we realize we are justified, that is when we know we are truly saved. Let's pray. And so, God, may you be gracious enough to take everything we have seen, everything we have been exposed to, may you take it and may you transform us with these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.